Welcome to Behind the Band, a podcast where we're all about helping you grow your music career. Do that by talking with awesome artists, people from the industry, that kind of fun stuff. My name is David Ryan Olson. I run Evergreen Records. We are a production company that wants to help you grow even outside the studio. So that's why we do things like this podcast. Today, we're going to be tackling a pretty big one, and that's how do you promote your music. In order to do that, we've brought on the founder of Submit Hub, Jason. And I know you may already have some opinions about Submit Hub. <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of a polarizing platform, but I think it is, you know, possibly one key element in your music promotion process. It may not be right for you, but it may be right for you. So wanted to bring him on today to maybe clear up some of the misconceptions about Submit Hub, ask him some tough questions about, is it a scam? All that type of thing. Some of the stuff you may have heard out there in the industry. Hopefully you can get something good out of it. I love this conversation. I learned a lot about the platform. I learned a lot about promotion and what the music blog world is all about just in general. So hopefully you get something out of it too. But real quick before we do, just want to remind you about the new community that we have launched. We believe that getting together, talking with fellow artists, supporting each other, asking each other questions is super, super critical for your success in music. So we want to help facilitate some of the growth the networking, and then also just having a good time with others. Just in general, we think that's a healthy thing. But also, you know, we're kind of in this weird twilight season where COVID is starting to end. We're looking ahead to the future. We think community is going to be super, super critical for that transition. So we would love to get you plugged into our small but growing community. Just go to evergreenrecords.com slash community to sign up for that. But now let's just go ahead and jump in today with our conversation with Jason of Submit Hub. Jason from Submit Hub, how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm feeling pretty groovy. I just put the kids to sleep, dinner's done. I'm ready to go. Right on. Because you're in South Africa, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we're about nine hours difference now, so you, you're probably approaching lunchtime. Yeah, it's starting to get close to lunchtime. Not sure what I'm going to do, so... <laughs> Well, hopefully we don't run too long so you can you can get something. <laughs> yeah, but super glad you're joining me on the show today. Would love just to kind of get to know you a little bit first before we dive into, you know, getting to know Submit Hub a little bit more. What's your story? Oh, okay. Long walks on the beach. Nice. Uh, probably not my thing. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing against the beach, but I mean, if we're really getting personal... Forests are good. Hiking's nice, too. That's not the direction you were going, is it? Hey, you know, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> Those are important things, too. So I'm, I'm chatting to you from South Africa. This is where I was born. I grew up here, but I moved to the States when I was about 12. And I, I spent 16 years there, most of it in California. Went to high school there. It was great, actually, to be at university in San Diego in the early 2000s because we had a, a terabyte line which was pretty epic no gigabyte sorry terabyte what am i talking about gigabyte <laughs> but this was also at the peak of torrenting and there were these really cool networks between the universities actually between like ucsd ucla uc berkeley and you could download entire albums in one go so i was lucky to be there at this time when in some ways you might say music was going through a renaissance of rediscovery and and people were tapping into all this amazing old music so i mean i was discovering like led zeppelin pink floyd the beatles you could download their entire discography in minutes and at the same time it gave this awesome new avenue for people to share new songs right 
and and who doesn't want free music so california san diego that's where my my real passion for music discovery began i moved over to dc had a really terrible consulting job that i absolutely hated <laughs> my job was to help executives determine whether their pay was reasonable or not <laughs> Heck, i wasn't even determining it they would basically say Hey, we're going to pay ourselves $500,000 a year. Can you just fill something out to say that this is totally kosher? And then we'd run an analysis and be like, well, all the other executives in DC are getting paid this much. So in order for the business to competitively employ you, of course you deserve 500. In fact, make it 600. <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> and so, so this, this, <laughs> this collision of hating my job, but also being at this this amazing time for music discovery on the internet actually led me to start a music blog called Indie Shuffle. And I started that in about 2007, 2008. So it's been you know 13 or 14 years since I got into that. And that became my passion, so much so that I, I actually ended up on the chopping block at, at this job in DC. I remember my manager sort of saying, look, it's, it's time for you to grow up and, and focus on your career here and stop wasting time on this blog. And naturally, as a 25-year-old, I'm thinking, nah, you don't, you don't understand. This is my passion. This is my future. <laughs> and so I was, I was on my way out, and I got a phone call from a recruiter at Google who said, hey, listen, we're, we're trying to find people to help us with our executive compensation internally. We don't want to hire consultants. We want to have a, an employee here. And, and that specialty is not a very common Thing. I mean, not a, maybe it's the first time you've even, you've even heard of that job existing. So the, the pool of candidates was quite small. And so they call me up and they go, are you interested in doing this? And if, you know, of course, I say, yeah, executive compensation is like my, my dream. It's my, my life passion. This is, this is why I, I am and what I'm meant to do. Oh, and by the way, I've got a music blog on the side. <laughs> they, they went for the music blog. They were actually, they thought it was really cool. The people I was going to work with. And they were all in their mid-20s as well. And I remember interviewing with, we had like a lunch interview with three of them and they were all leaving for Coachella that afternoon. And so it was like the perfect alignment of the stars. And instead of talking about executive compensation, I'm like, oh, you're going to show, you're going to see this band and this band and make sure you see this. And so I got the job because they, I, you know, people hire often based on, on people they want to work with rather than people who are going to be able to do the job. So yeah, I worked for Google for three years. It was awesome. But the music blog kept growing and growing and growing. And in 2013, that was sort of the peak of music blogging. There was a lot of money. Digital publishers across all spectrums of the internet were making a lot of money. Food blogs, movie review blogs, and music blogs. I think we, we signed a deal with Spin Magazine that was going to pay $15,000 a month. And I thought, okay, well, that's it. I'm, I'm going to quit my day job. And so I quit Google, which is, a, which is kind of a big thing to do. That was an awesome thing to do, right? I, I, even though it's Google, it's still a job. <laughs> and so to be, to be free of that and be like, I'm going to blog all day. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm, I'm going to go do it from Amsterdam. And so I just like left San Francisco and I moved to Amsterdam and I got, you know, I'm banking on 180K a year. I'm thinking, okay, this is great. You know, okay, so they haven't sent me a check yet, but it's coming. So let's just sort of, you know, get a nice Airbnb. And then I started bouncing around. I was like, Barcelona, Berlin, London. All right. So the checks still haven't come yet, but like, it's okay. I got a little, you know, they're coming, they're coming, right? They're not going to bail on this. And um, after a year, they, they phoned me up and they're like, hey, so we're bankrupt. And, and I was thinking, wait, hold it. But you guys haven't paid me a cent yet. And you've been running ads on my site. And, and so Spin Magazine, which you might be familiar with, they went out of business. 
and Spin Media, the company running the ads for us, for Hype Machine, for pretty much all the big music blogs on the internet, gone. So mid-2014, I was kind of going, oh shit, what am I going to do? And um, that's when I, I sort of stepped up my coding game and I started to freelance for other websites. I'd been tinkering with Indie Shuffle. I'd had people freelance come and help me, but I thought, okay, well, I can't afford to pay them and I've learned a little bit. So let me try like build cool web players for other music blogs. And I got a couple jobs and it sucked. And eventually I thought, okay, look, either I'm going to go groveling back to Google, which I don't want to do, or I'm going to take these coding skills and try something else. And what I decided to do was what ultimately became Submit Hub. And the goal was, and this is important from an artist perspective, right? The goal was super duper duper selfish. I was getting 300 emails a day. I didn't even look at them. I didn't bother looking. It was way too much, right? And, and I knew deep down I was missing out on a lot of great music. And all we were blogging was the bands you knew and it was sucked and it was just a regurgitation of stuff. And so I wanted to code a way for me to solve my problem, which was dealing with 300 emails a day and actually listening to songs in a streamlined way. And I knew that I wasn't the only one with this problem. Pretty much anyone who was a blogger had given up on their email address. And so I thought, look, there has to be a way for artists to get in touch with curators without having to shell out $1,500 or $2,000 per month to a publicist because publicists were the ones who had our phone numbers and stuff. So yeah, SubmitHub was created with the goal of solving my problem with emails, making it easier for artists to connect with curators and, and in a way, like putting the publicists out of business, although they're actually very much still alive and, and big users of SubmitHub. But yeah, that's, that's the context. That's how we got to 2015. Uh, and I got stuck in South Africa because it's nicer. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. That's a great little background. Love it. Just as a as a little summary, I know you kind of hinted at that. Would you mind just kind of summarizing what SubmitHub is? Okay. SubmitHub is a really transparent and easy way for musicians or people in the music industry to send songs to curators, be they music bloggers, Spotify playlisters, YouTube channels, or even TikTok influencers. And as a musician, you essentially get a guarantee that they are going to listen gonna respond within 48 hours and they're gonna make a decision. So you're not left hanging and wondering if anyone actually opened up your email. On the curator side, what we do is we dangle a little bit of money in front of them. It's sort of the carrot and they go, okay, cool. Well, this does make it worth it. I'm gonna wake up every morning and I'm gonna check my submissions and respond to them. So the system is, we'll get into the frustration soon, but in, in comparison to what you used to have to spend as an artist, which was a heck of a lot more, the idea here is that for essentially a dollar or you know, $20 for, for a bulk submission, you are going to guarantee a response. And that's something that I don't think many musicians today realize was very difficult back in the past. So for many musicians who, who were trying to promote music in you know, that, that era from 2008 until 2013, they can relate to how difficult it really was to get your someone to, to respond, to open up your, your submission and, and listen to it. And some people take that for granted today. But yeah, that's what SubmitHub does. It, it, it's like a directory that makes it really easy to send to people. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a way to just spend X amount of dollars and get Y amount of playlists. It's more of a way to streamline a process that used to be a lot more difficult. Yes. And any service that does offer you X amount of playlists for Y amount of dollars is A, a scam, B, putting you at risk of being kicked off Spotify, 
And C, a big no-no. Don't go near it because A and B are the reasons. <laughs> so you're trying to create something that's a little bit more legitimate than just a pay-to-play or pay-to-playlist or a payola or whatever you would call that. <sighs> yeah, well, I'm coming from a different space, right? So in, in the music industry, from, from a blogging perspective, the whole thing is based around your integrity and and skill of finding the next big thing as a blogger, right? And and a lot of that clout has maybe disappeared over the last five or 10 years, but that, that underlying sort of drive still remains. And so what we're trying to do here is, I'm, I, I'm a firm believer that, that it shouldn't be about who can pay the most and, and paying your way into playlists. It should be about merit and people liking your songs and, and creating those connections. And Ultimately, that's what leads to a lot of the frustration on SubmitHub because you have this incredible supply of, of music, which is growing and growing and growing by the day. I've heard Spotify put out numbers of, of somewhere around 40,000 songs per day. So you have this amazing supply of music and it, it completely overwhelms the number of curators and the number of listeners. Uh, there's no way that the average listener wants to go through 40,000 songs a day and, and ultimately... For many artists, that means they're not going to get the reception that they're hoping for. And SubmitHub is a reflection of that in some ways. You'll often find, for example, my music blog has an acceptance rate of about 3%. So we get sent not 100 songs a day, probably 50 songs a day. And in a week, we're going to blog about 10 of them. So we're getting 250 songs. How's my math here? Yeah, 10-ish. So that's a good number of songs to show, but it kind of demonstrates how out of balance that is. And there's literally no way that all 250 of those submissions could get the attention that they're hoping for. They just aren't listeners for that. The average listener doesn't want to sit through. And the hardest part is that those 250 songs don't suck. <laughs> 90% of them are really well mixed, really well produced. There's just not that much bad music coming out. There's a feature on SubmitHub called Hot or Not, where artists can rate each other's songs. And if you spend half an hour on there, you'll quickly discover that the bar is really high. And in order to get into that top 1% of artists who actually manage to make a living out of it, you not only have to have everything done perfectly, but you have to have some unique element that sort of gets you to stand out. There's only so many lo-fi jazzy beats I can listen to, and, and they're almost all perfectly good, right? So how do I choose the one that I like? And, and at the end of the day, it's just like, oh, that melody sounds nice. Why does that melody sound nice? Because um, of its progression. Like, it's music. It's so hard to, to really put your finger on. But yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of the biggest point of frustration that we can get into here, which is, uh, which is that the, the demand of musicians looking for coverage way out strips the supply of curators and listeners who are interested and receptive towards that. So what I hear you saying is that just inherently, it's extremely hard to get on a playlist or a blog or shared whatever. All that Submit Hub has done is just give you a more definitive no compared to the the past where, you know, you don't know whether you got spammed or whether they're just ignoring you or, or whatever. Yeah, it's a combination of that, but it does allow you to target better. So five years ago, what you would do is you would download a spreadsheet of, of 500 emails or a thousand emails. There was no sort of genre specification or anything like that, and you just spammed it out, right? So if you make folk music, you'd get one of these lists of all the hype machine bugs. 95% of them aren't even interested in folk, and they're not going to open your emails anyway, but there's no real way to filter that. So SubmitHub, yeah, it does give you an answer. Often that answer is no, but it also allows you to really dive in there and get a feel for 
who you're sending your music to, uh, what kind of targeting you're going to do, and really get a feel for that. So someone can achieve a pretty high success rate on Submit Hub if they focus really hard. Similarly, you could also send your music to a bunch of curators who approve everything and, hey, you got a big success rate. But there's so many variables involved, right? The blogs and curators who can move the needle the most often tend to be the ones most in demand and therefore the least likely to approve songs. And so then what also happens is that artists end up getting more approvals from the curators who approve a lot of stuff and actually can't move the needle so much. And then they come out of it going, well, Submit Hub sucks. And I go, well, hold we're just facilitating a connection. The blog sucks. And, and actually, if you look at the notes, we said that. I mean, like, avoid these guys. They have a 40% approval rate and they only have 10 listeners. Don't worry. Like, don't even waste your time with it. And so there's some misconception there. And I don't get down about it. It's, I think it's the reality of, of the scale that we're working with and the number of people involved, right? There's veterans who are, have been in the music industry for 30 or 40 years and they're not phased by any of this. And then there are 18 or 19-year-olds who come into this and go, well, you know, like every other site is pay for placement. So why would I use this if I can just go do that? And, and then, you know, they end up realizing that that was all fake and didn't mean anything. <sighs> <laughs> so because you, you're seeing the data of how Submit Hub approvals and submissions have been going and the fact that you have a little bit of a background in the music blog world approving, you know, a curated playlist, what are some just kind of general tips you might have for people as they are trying to be smarter about their promotional pushes. Cool. Tip number one, don't jump in and spend 100 credits. So the way the credit system works on Submit Hub is that each credit costs roughly a dollar. You can get them for as cheap as 64 cents. And uh, you each curator costs between one and three credits. So for 100 credits, you can probably target about 50 to 60 people quite easily. And I would say that's a bad idea as your first experience because you really don't have any idea how the system works, who you should be targeting, that type of stuff. So there was a, there was a podcast that came about not too recently on, on James's channel with an artist called Ascension Everest or Ascen Ascension Everest. Ascending Everest. The, uh, the channel is Bandhive. You should go check out that podcast. Bandhive, right. And I thought it was a really excellent podcast. Never mind the fact that he doesn't have the biggest audience, but he had some really good insights in there about how he goes about running his campaigns. He starts really small and hyper-focused. So he'll spend five or 10 credits, which, you know, it's like five or $10 is, for some people that is a chunk of money, but for many people it's not. He'll go and spend that amount of money on the people he thinks are really gonna be the best possible fits. So he's looking at things like how well their genre overlaps with his song, whether he has any past history with them, because he's been using the website for about three or four years, maybe even five, geez. Then he also looks at their recent shares to get a feel for what they're sharing. He looks at the content they're sharing to see if it's even worth it. And from there, he'll hone in on five or 10 people, send to them and get a feel for the reception of a song. And then he builds out as he goes. So we touched on genre match and honing in. I think the other important thing is to think about what you want to get out of it. Are you looking for Spotify plays? Is that even a good thing? Uh, it varies from person to person. I, I think I mentioned these, these lo-fi beats producers, right? And they're generally not going to be out there playing live shows whenever that returns. And for them, making a living from digital streams is actually a viable and, and important thing. So Spotify playlists might be big. But if you get a folk band that is hyper-focused on, on the West Coast of the States, <clears throat> they're probably not looking for Spotify streams because it's, from my experience, Spotify streams are, are very ephemeral thing in a way, right? You get added to a playlist, you get some listeners for a month or two, you get taken off the playlist, that's it. 
And I think a lot of that is because Spotify is, is a very passive listening experience. The majority of listeners are doing it passively. I highly doubt the majority are doing it actively. I myself, when I use Spotify, either I go to an album by a band I already know and like, or I, or I go to Spotify's recommended playlist and hit shuffle play. That's it. I don't pay attention to who I'm listening to. I don't know what it is. So for me personally, if I was an artist, I, I wouldn't be spending a lot of time on Spotify playlisters. Even getting into an editorial playlist has the same problem. You get a nice bip of listeners, you can make some cash out of it, but at the end of the day, so few of them will convert to fans, and even the ones who do are very unlikely to be in the cities that you're going to be able to tour in, in that stage of your career, right? You're probably not going to Australia if you're based out of Oregon. So why do you want Spotify listeners from Australia? Like you want people from, from the West Coast or, or whatever. So for me, a lot of it is building personal connections and creating that story around it. And this gets back to the blogging thing as well. You release a song, someone Googles it. It's kind of cool if a bunch of the top results are people reviewing your song and writing about it. But I think for most artists, the top results are like, here's the Spotify link, the YouTube link, and this thing. It's what people want. I mean, they're trying to listen to your song. But again, if I'm a booker or a promoter trying to get a show lined up with you, it's, it's really helpful from the artist perspective to be able to say, well, here are a bunch of blogs who wrote about me, um, some great reception to our song. We were put in these playlists. But it, yeah, putting too much emphasis on the playlist is a bad idea because in six months when you try to book that, you go, yeah, well, we were in these playlists. And they go look at your profile and they're like, well, you're not. You're not. What happened? And they're like, oh, well, we got removed. So it's, it's, it's kind of important to figure out what your goal as an artist really is. Are, are you focused on, on trying to build up your, your, your profile and your story and, and your live presence? Or are you looking to just try and monetize your streams and make a living from that? There are different artists with different goals achieving different things. And, and so yeah, that's an important step before diving into and figuring out who you want to send to. Yeah. So you're telling me that, you know, I should be focusing on getting on music blogs. Aren't music blogs dead, man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. They were the most influential thing in the music industry for a good five to 10 years. And today they're not. And I don't think anything has actually replaced them. What you've got is this huge fragmentation of services and discovery portals going on on the internet. And, and you actually also have Fewer people actively seeking things out. They're just getting spoon-fed that stuff. I don't know how well... Like I, I feel as if there were many more new artists being minted as successful and being able to get booked at Coachella and do that type of stuff in, in that phase from, from 2005 to 2015. And that's really slowed down a lot because there's so much noise out there. Can a blog help you break through that noise? No. Can anything? Not really. Dumb luck can you get picked up by the right person, you get discovered by the right person, or you're so unique and interesting that suddenly, you know, everyone who finds out about you spreads that. And, and there aren't as many artists pulling that off today as, as I think there were. There's way more artists making a small living from it. So yeah, blogs don't, don't have that same clout anymore, but they do tell an interesting story. And, and I think if you want to have some success as a musician with realistic expectations, like, I mean, God bless you. I hope you succeed and, and, and get booked for Coachella. But if you want to go into it and aim for the, the moon instead of the stars, maybe you'll get the stars, but aim for the moon. Your goal is to build real close relationships and try to find a thousand people who really love your music. And hopefully those thousand people are, are within your radius so that you can do a tour of the West Coast or wherever you live. And blogs are good for that. Blogs are, are real people passionately connecting with your music. 
And it's not just about the bloggers, but also your existing fan base. So let's say you are starting out, you've got 50 solid fans who really love your music and listen to everything that comes out. If you can go back to those fans and say, guys, check out this awesome blog post, you are in a way confirming their belief that your music is awesome. So when they see that, they go, ah, oh, yes, I'm not the only one. I'm not a weirdo for thinking this. It's, it's like a positive affirmation of that. And so blogs are a lot better. Like you can still share that you were added to a playlist, but again, there's, there's no permanence to it that, and there's no, there's no love and thought behind it. So for me, focusing on the blogs who actually focus, <laughs> focus, focus, focus on um, individual songs and do reviews around them is a much better way to go about it because that gives you the connection. It's awesome to see someone write about your music. Plus, it's great content to share with your fan base. So yeah, blogs are, blogs are dead, but long live blogs. <laughs> no, but I, I think that also makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that you brought up the concept of, you know, building a, a thousand true fans. It seems like that's almost what the, uh, the business model for musicians is moving to. I mean, like CD sales are, are done, you know, live shows. Who knows what the future of the industry is going to be for that, as we saw this past year. It'll be back. It'll be back. It'll be back. But like, I think you also, it, it, it's shown that like, you can't have all your eggs in that basket. So doing things to start nurturing people along the journey of a thousand true fans instead of just, you know, being passive. It, you know, it sounds like you're saying blogs are a super useful tool for moving that on because it's inherently less passive and you're you're getting people who want to be more of your true fans. Right, right. I mean, the blog's going to connect with you. They, they probably have a few loyal listeners, but more importantly, your existing fan base is going to get that confirmation that they're not crazy for liking your music. Right. So I've heard from some artists that they are frustrated with their first experiences with submit hub. And I know that you have mentioned a couple of things that you think that, you know, maybe they should work on, you know, targeting and refining their goals. But I know some people have said they feel it is hard to get into because it's crowded or feeling like. Just lay it out there, David, lay it out, get to the dirty. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm trying to figure out how to actually articulate this, but like feeling like, is there a point where you become recognized on Submit Hub? You know, is is, is there like, you know, a secret influencer score behind the scenes, you know, that the curators are looking at because they feel like, you know, well, I submitted 30 credits or whatever and and got 100% rejection rate. Mm. There's no special benefits program. As you do build up rapport with people, you probably will increase your likelihood of being approved. So if I see a song come through from an artist who I have liked or shared in the past, I'm going to be more inclined to share their music again. And, and even if I keep declining their stuff, it does start to build up a bit of familiarity with it. Yeah, uh, I intentionally hide any sort of statistics that might sway a curator into approving a song based on its success. So they don't see how many fans you have up front They don't see if you're in the popular chart unless they go there and look for it, which they're not going to do. They don't see how many approvals you've had, how many rejections you've had. The emphasis should be placed on the song itself because ultimately that's what decides it. The frustration is unavoidable, I think. It comes down to expectations, targeting. I mean, people go in there expecting, cool, I spent $30, I got to get something out of it, right? And if you get 100 rejections... You know, I might say, well, you, you got 30 responses, you know, that was unheard of back in the day and you only did it for $30. And they go, well, I wasn't around back in the day. What are you even talking about? I wasted $30. <laughs> you 
So again, it's about perspective and expectation going into it. And I, I try to avoid Twitter for this reason, because it <laughs> tends to be a place where people go to vent just in general about anything. The worst job in the world is probably a social media manager for an airplane company. <laughs> it's just like, right? It's got to be one of the worst jobs. And so it's a similar thing. When you go on, on Twitter, if you search for Submit Hub, most of the tweets you see are going to be artists who are saying it's bullshit and it doesn't make sense and it's a whole bunch of scam playlists and it's bots anyway. And yeah, well, when I did finally get accepted, nothing happened. Um, I just got put on a stupid blog. And, and these are all real and true experiences. And, and I, you know, I can't deny that that is what their perspective of it is. A little bit of context does help. Maybe, maybe they'll listen to this podcast and sort of understand where the system comes from and why that structure exists. But at the end of the day, I've learned over the last five years to, to sort of deal with it. Because as I mentioned, there's 50,000 songs a day going up on, on Spotify. A pretty significant portion of those are being shared on SubmitHub daily. Like we're talking multiple thousands of songs per day going through the system, tens of thousands. And, and it's a huge number. It's a huge number. So... Most of the artists aren't, who, who, who are having an okay experience with it aren't going to go tweet about it. You're going to find the negative experiences out there. And I try to set expectations, but that doesn't stop it from being a negative experience for a lot of artists. And I, I don't know how to, like, unless I massively change the structure of it and say, okay, well, now it's, it's only pay to play. So if you pay, you get coverage. And then everyone's happy because they paid for what they get. But I'm not doing anything honest in the music industry in that way. Jeez, I'm sure some people will laugh at me using that honest <laughs> and be like this guy he's the last person who should talk about honesty but um for me it's very important that the music itself is what's what's speaking and and doing well and, and driving that success not who can pay the most money for it we do have influencer submissions on submit hub where you can actually pay for placement it, it is a straight up payola thing there's a whole bunch of tiktok influencers they've got their different prices listed you pay them they show you a song it's done so maybe for some of these artists they should do that but that's more in the sense of like, you know, how an influencer might get paid to share like a shampoo or like some sort of hair product. Right, right. I mean, these guys aren't music critics, right? So, so we, we've split the two out into very distinct categories. When you submit, we ask you, do you want to submit to curators or influencers? Because they are very different. And, and for me on the, on the, the curator side, it's, it's kind of important sort of the level of rejection that, that goes on. It means that we're trying to surface better stuff. And again, there's a comment that artists will dig into. What do you mean better? Have you listened to the popular chart? It's absolute shit. <laughs> it's a whole bunch of electro pop and commercial pop and it's rubbish. These guys don't even have taste in music. Okay. I'm like, well, there we go. I mean, music's very subjective. So I don't know if we're surfacing the best. It's not my personal preference, but like clearly that's what the bigger part of the population is enjoying. So it's become a big thing. Just to give you context in the last month, there were over 300,000 artists who used SubmitHub. That's a crap load. So then I guess the question is then how do, you, how do you stand out since it is pretty crowded, it sounds like. Stop trying to stand out. I think that's the problem. It gets back to, to Kevin Kelly's 1,000 true fans. Work on building those personal connections more. If I had music that I was trying to push, I would probably be out there on, if I had time, on, on Twitter, on Reddit, on Facebook, whatever, trying to make personal one-on-one -on -one connections because... Sure, after a week, you might only have three or four new connections, but after a year, you've got 200 connections. And after two years, you've got 400. And then they tell their significant others or their children or their moms or whatever. And, and sort of you grow from there. The, the idea that you can break out or stand out or be different or, or really expect a sudden bump, 
I think is is in many ways a thing of the past. If it even was a thing back in the day, I mean, it's always been pretty difficult. I just think it gets more and more difficult to have that big blowout break and it becomes more and more easy to create those small one-on-one connections and, and build a fan base from there. So again, I, I come back to the, the 1,000 true fans and, and I think also hyper-localizing that is important because you want to make sure that assuming you're on artist who performs live, whenever that does return, which will hopefully be quite soon, you'll be able to draw an audience at your venues. And so I think a lot of that is local. Even all the artists who blew up from that 2005 to 2015 phase struggle today to get any momentum on the songs they release. They've got a pretty hardcore fan base, but I see so many of these guys come out and they were blog superstars back in the day and they just can't get the ball rolling anymore because they're, they're drowned out in that noise. So... <laughs> how do you stand out? I don't know. Ask a publicist. That's their job, right? They're going to help you try to do that. Uh, but even even they're going to struggle. I mean, that's what they're going to sell you, right? That's their service. They're going to help you stand out. But more importantly, they're going to help you focus on your music and they'll take care of all the PR for you. I think that's the better way to look at it. Yeah, they, to answer your question, you can't. <laughs> but, to, but to hire a publicist, one of the things you're hiring them for is rapport, with curators, connections, or, or whatever. Maybe not in all, all circumstances. That's what they're selling you, yeah. <laughs> That's what you'd like to think. But, you know, what are some of the ways, as a curator, you can start building rapport with curators? Send them a song that they really like. <laughs> so, so, okay, all right, l- let's put it this way. You want to build a rapport. Step one is to get approved. Find a song that they actually like. For many of the, the curators on Submit Hub, that's the only way to reach them today, right? So step one, have a song approved. Easier said than done, but it's something you can do, right? Once you've got that song, a great way to continue that report is to, to send them another song, and then you'll also have a private chat that's opened with them from the previous approval. You send them a message and say, hey, just a heads up, I've sent you one of my latest songs using the submit hub method. Don't worry, I'm not gonna paste it here. Just keep an eye out for it in your feed. And if someone sends me a message like that, one of the first things I'll do is I'll, I'll go over to my feed of submissions, look for their song and put it in my save for later bin, which is kind of songs that I, I wanna give a closer listen to and then pay more attention to. And that context helps. So that's an excellent way to, to sort of build and grow that report and keep building with that. Cold emailing is gonna be really difficult, right? The bigger the blog, the more likely people have attempted all sorts of avenues of contacting them as, as well. So I, again, I'm coming back to you with an answer that's like, there is no easy way. It's, it's just, it's not gonna work. Like SubmitHub exists because so many people were trying to build a rapport with me. And that was awesome. But with, I mean, they didn't really care about me. They wanted to get on Indie Shuffle. And at a certain point, it was just way too many people who felt that they had that rapport. And the worst was friends, you know, people you've met and you know, and you like to hang out with coming to you with, yo, check this out, blah, 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 blah. And, and then as soon as you say, oh, I'm not so into it, that, oh, friendship's over. You're like, all right, cool. So I think many curators have shut themselves off from that as well. And they don't really want to go down that path. Gotcha. Something that I think some artists are confused about is when is it the best time in a release cycle to use submit hub as a tool before the release after it's been released on spotify and then you know you're sending the you know the bloggers and and playlisters a spotify link versus you know the upload you know well it's not quite out yet you gotta wait generally do you know if there's more success before or after you're released using submit hub it's not going to make a difference so so with spotify submission process for their editorial playlist i think it's three weeks before something like that 
But for for a normal song that's coming out, it doesn't make a difference, right? Influencers, you're not going to share until the song's out and readily available. Spotify playlisters, if you send it to them pre-release and they like the song, it's actually just going to stay hidden until it's ready for them to share. So they're not going to get impatient and wonder where your song is and, and, and kind of sit there going, cool, well, when do I get to share this? So it's good to start earlier just to get that ball rolling and hopefully you'll have some momentum on the day of. But again, it depends on on how you want to take this approach. And I think for me, a slow and steady growth is a much more pragmatic way to do it. There's advantages to looking for that early explosion, right? Spotify might notice and it triggers some algorithm and that helps you grow. But we don't know what those algorithms are. They're really hard to predict. And, and I think many artists will struggle with that. There's also a lot of labels tracking artist growth algorithmically to say, oh, wow, this artist jumped from this to this in this amount of span. So let's check them out and listen to it, see if we want to sign them. I know I know they're doing that. But, but again, they need to be pretty big numbers for people to notice. So it's that slow and steady drip bleed that I think is important. If I'm one of your fans, I'm not going to care if it's been three weeks since you released your song and a blog just wrote about it. That's still cool content. Maybe I'll go revisit the song or maybe it will be like, yeah, I've been digging this song as well. And there's a chance for me to comment. And, and so it's, it's less about that wham, bam, slam on the day of type of thing and more just about that, that drip. And so you can spread out your song release over easily over two or three months and just keep you know promoting it. And and that's great, actually, because so many artists these days are releasing songs on a, on a one to two month cycle, right? That's just kind of what they do. The, the idea of an album is slowly disappearing because it's just a constant drip of new songs. So your promo cycle can kind of go at the same pace as the songs you're releasing. And if you did compose all your songs and, and record them in, in one month of, you know, like genius, it doesn't mean you still can't spread them out and just keep that slow growth going. So... For me, I, I think you can definitely start before and you can definitely run after. That cycle can easily span three months per song. Makes sense. Makes sense. What do you think is next for the future of music promotion? It's, it's a difficult question to answer. The latest trend I've been seeing from industry professionals is everyone is talking about the, the indie-fication of it and the fact that people aren't releasing through labels anymore. They're all DIY artists. And they're also observing this rise of DIY services, which includes SubmitHub. So I've had lots of interesting conversations recently with employees from UMG, Sony, Warner Music Group. All the major labels are chatting to us now because they're going, oh, shit, you know, we need to catch up to this. Who should we be talking to? Okay, let's find out the companies who are sort of involved in this space and maybe we'll buy them out. That type of thing. And they're, you know, they're sort of late to the game as always, but, but they've got so much money and, and structure behind them that actually, you know, once they jump in, they'll be fine. So... DIY releases are the new big thing. And, and I think uh, you're going to see a lot of services cropping around, around that. And you're going to see a lot of labels getting more involved in, in sort of touching base with those artists. So from a promotion standpoint, dude, it's, it's this continued fragmentation, right? So you know, blogs used to be it. It was a central source. There was no Spotify. There was no Apple Music. There was no, like YouTube wasn't the place that you went to discover music. And now you've got a, a hundred different places you can find it. The latest one being, you know, TikTok. That's what everyone's buzzing about. So for me, I think what's important when considering this question is to think about the profile of individuals who like to find new music. And I don't want to make assumptions about your age. I'd peg you somewhere between 55 and 65. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, my period of discovery for many things, not just music, was that phase from about 
18 to my late 20s. I was really receptive to listening to new music, discovering it. I didn't have this huge foundation of music. Like there's space for me to put stuff, right? And by the time I hit my 30s, I'm far more established in my ways. I'm a creature of habit. You know, I've got songs for every mood and every feeling, and I don't need to go out and, and discover all this new music. So that's not the demographic to look at. Your demographic to look at is where the young people right now, they're on TikTok. So that's probably where they're discovering music. So if I'm an artist promoting, obviously got to think about my demographic. Who do I want to target? But, but in terms of really receptive audience, people who are going to actively be looking for music and tell their friends about it, right? I mean, you're 19 or 20, you want to be cool. So you tell your friends about a great new song you found and that helps your, your cred go up. So yeah, future of promo is just to keep an eye on, on where that population is. Right now they're on social media, TikTok and Instagram. 10 years from now, maybe it's all some VR stuff. Like, I don't know what it's going to be. I mean, my kids are one and three. So where are they going to be? Sometimes I just want to stop high school kids and be like, so where do you find your music? But that might be creepy with this whole moustache going on. <laughs> so yeah, future of music promo is, is to definitely keep an eye on, think about your audience, who it is you're trying to target, uh, and then go to the platforms that they're on. And I suppose Submit Hub is going to try and keep up with the times on, uh, <laughs> on that. Yeah, until I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> right so we, we have been putting a lot of emphasis into the tiktok space and we've been learning a lot about the way things shared and and how influencers are and and we've been doing this now for close to a year and i think we're ready to to kind of expand that we're going to be putting a lot more effort into it now that we've sort of figured out the kinks after that i don't know like what is after tiktok we don't know yet we just don't know it's going to be something different probably won't be spotify hey maybe it'll be music blogs again doubt it i would love to see just a resurgence not just of music blogs but of blogs of original content do you did you ever use stumble upon i did right so there's like a little bar plug-in on your browser and you just hit stumble and it takes you to a random blog and that was so dope there was so much cool interesting content out there like knitting blogs music blogs we used to get a ton of traffic from stumble upon and that that era of the internet is sadly gone like everyone's on, you know, it's, it's, it's all under these big corporate behemoths of, of Facebook and Google and Spotify and, and like doing a Google search for stuff. You search for a song on Google, it's not going to send much traffic to the blog post. It sucks. So be cool if music blogs came back or just blogs in general. But something, something leaves me a little bit suspicious about that. Maybe you'll see a growing audience of people who are, are just sort of quitting the Internet and getting off in general. So then where do they discover music? I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe that's not their thing. Yeah. Well, I hope venues and local communities and stuff, all uh, that comes back too. I mean, I think people are going to be kind of itching for that after COVID anyway. I'm intentionally trying to spend less time on social media. And I know a lot of people are getting kind of fed up with that. And, and you know, I think between just, you know, all the, the crap we're seeing come out of Facebook and, you know, how Twitter has just become like a toxic shithole. <laughs> you know, I think, I think people are, are ready to, you know, get back with their their close communities in person again and i think that'll be a, an important that'll be an important way to grow so again that just brings us right back to the thing i've been saying this whole time which is build that community that network that connection of, of true fans and focus less on the sprint like the internet's too big it's too big a thousand listeners from australia is just not going to help you yeah well okay so maybe this is going to be maybe completely wrong someone's going to find this in about five years but i almost you know see the online equivalent of small in-person local communities 
becoming like a thing, like micro communities, not necessarily the big Facebook groups or the huge subreddits or, or whatever, but maybe you have a small 50 person discord or something. And, you know, if you get in with someone who's like, you know, a member of one of these small communities and they share it with their community, you've now got like a way more invested 50 people, you know, than necessarily trying to get it on our music or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's, we even see that on Submit Hub with the Submit Hub chat rooms. It is a community and, and people are checking in every day and having conversations with each other. So it's a much nicer way to look at the Internet, those, those sort of communities of people connecting. Discord's doing that, right? Isn't Microsoft going to buy Discord for $10 billion? Probably. I think I saw some sort of headline about that. But whatever the platform is, I think, you know, people are craving more authentic connections these days. And so smaller rooms, communities, offline, online. That's my prediction. Someone's going <laughs> to tell me why I'm wrong. And I've been wrong. Hopefully it's offline. But what is that called? That's called church. <laughs> yep. In many ways it is, right? I mean, religion aside, that is your community of 100, 150 people who you see every day, well, once a week for your whole life. Maybe we should just start more churches. Spaghetti Monster Church. I'm going to go start a flying spaghetti monster church. <laughs> Although there, there is one, isn't there? I'm going to open up a local chapter of the Flying Spaghetti Monster Church. That's what it is. <laughs> and we're going to do some dope-ass ceremonies involving spaghetti. Yeah, as long as it involves spaghetti. Duh. I'm down. I'm down. Anyway, Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Any just kind of last-minute thoughts or advice for artists? Have fun. Try have fun. Try not take it too seriously and, 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 and just realize that the, there's an incredible amount of music out there. And finding your audience isn't going to be easy. So don't get too caught up on the people who say no. They're not the ones you want to waste your, your energy on. Just move along. Love it. Well, man, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Cool. My pleasure. So that's it for my conversation today with Jason from Submit Hub. Hope you learned something. Maybe got some ideas for next time. You're, you're gearing up to do some music promotion, either on Submit Hub or not. Real quick before we go, have a couple of favors. First, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would you just go ahead and give us a quick five-star review? Helps the show rank higher and have more people find the show. Also, would love for you to sign up for our brand new community that we've been putting together. We think community is super, super critical, always as an artist, but also especially during this season where we're trying to figure out how does this transition back to regular life look like? And hopefully you can gain some uh, connections, some knowledge, and just generally support each other in our brand new community. So go ahead, just go on over to evergreenrecords.com community to sign up for that. But for now, that's it. We'll see you next week. 